This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Rob Hadley, people and culture strategist, specializing in DEI and people analytics. I am here with my friend, who is a little bit more mature these days, Nadia <laughs> Butt, an organizational development and belonging strategist. Nadia, we, How are you? Well, I'm doing well, but why am I more mature? I feel like, if anything, you are more <laughs> I'm definitely less mature. We did not touch on your your birthday, your anniversario, as oh, you say. Yeah. We, we never even – so last week, just how was it? Yes. It was last week. It was really good. My parents both forgot about my birthday. <laughs> Which <laughs> no is... joke. My brother, who usually forgets, was the first person to text me. Well, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So I had to remind my dad. I'm dad sitting right now because my mom is visiting family in Pakistan. I said Pakistan weird, Pakistan. And so. Yeah. Yeah. You um, said it like I would say. I, yeah. I said it how Rob would say. <laughs> Pakistan. Um, <laughs> Pakistan. And so I had finished some meetings and I went downstairs like dinner time and dad was going to take me out for dinner. And he was already in his pajamas. And I was like, I was like, uh, Dad, uh, are we going to dinner? He's like, why are we going to dinner? I was like, it's my birthday. <laughs> Felt like I was 16. And he was like, oh, oh, he like gets, he like jumps right up. He's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, it's your birthday. And then like he goes in and changes and then we go out for pho for dinner and then I pay for it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I like that. He he came clean though, right? Like, he did. You know, he could have he could have just been like, oh right, right. This is I, you know. Yeah, I, I think that I would was, make me feel uh... so bad, right? Well, it's funny because usually my mom is the one that re would remind him that it's my birthday, but she's not here, right? She's in Pakistan, right? At Pakistan, right. and so what's that is even more funny that's is her like, role, right? That's her role, and then like later on that evening. I was FaceTiming with my mom and she's like passing the phone around so I can see my cousins and talk to my cousins. And then we're getting off the phone. I was like, do you want to say happy birthday to me? <laughs> she goes, she's like, oh my gosh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, like, no, like my parents didn't remember. And I was like, I'm your favorite child. How do you not remember my birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you answered your question. Yeah. 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 That's, I call that that type of reaction Father's Day is for me. For me, oh. it's like I'm like, is there anything you want to tell me? Uh, something that anything I think you have to say. Am <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I'm glad you 
Uh, I'm glad they pulled it together. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. Same. But uh, happy birthday from oh, uh, from me. And you. I was thinking I have a crush of birthdays right in a row. So like, yeah. that's, this is November. And so the fact that, you know, you're you're in there as well now. Yeah, so and, and November your son's birthday is coming up. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah, it was last week as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so good stuff. Good November's stuff. birthday month. So what's what do we got this week? Let me do a little preview for this week. So this week on Inclusive Collective, we will be talking to Talia Canestra, Partner and Managing Director of Design at Port One Companies, about her rise in the male-dominated world of architecture and construction. We'll also check out Walmart's plans to continue sensory-friendly hours and diversity in the issuance of corporate bonds. And later, Rob, you're going to rant about ex-Twitter's owner. Can't wait to hear that. And I'll rave about one artist's efforts to promote banned books. But first, let's get to the deets. All right. Shall I go first? Yeah, what do you, yeah, what, <laughs> what do you got I, for us now? Well, let's go with the deets here. So, um, yeah, really cool news here. The nation's largest retailer, Walmart, had piloted a customer experience program where they offered sensory-friendly hours each day Um at every one of its stores across the country. It was so successful that um, in terms of getting like customer feedback and even employee feedback, that it's Mm -hmm. now a permanent fixture. So from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. daily at all stores across the country, the stores will lower their overhead lights, turn off radios, replace moving pictures with static ones on televisions, making it a little more conducive for shoppers and employees living with disabilities and sensory sensitivity. Um, Rob, what are your reactions to that? So one, my question is not, have you been to Walmart at 8 a.m.? Do you, do, or, do you, um, how, how, I, is I don't Walmart even, part of your life at all? It's not, uh, not, not there, really. Right? I feel like maybe 10 years ago, I went like to Walmart on Black Friday and <laughs> <laughs> and at like 6 a.m. and I was like, I'm out at 6.05. Yeah. There was a, a, a brawl broke out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You had enough. Yeah. yeah it's like so chaos, I, right? Like on steroids. It's it's close to me. I, I actually like it. I actually do go because I, if I ever have to go, then I do it after I drop my son off. So I actually go during this time. And I actually have noticed uh-huh. a, a different clientele, maybe because it's 8 o'clock in the middle of the week. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I really like. I, 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 there's a lot of positive things we've talked about Walmart a couple of times on the show in 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 positive, you know, in positive terms, right? Um, yeah. We used to hate Walmart. Everyone used to hate Walmart, but then uh-huh. we met Amazon, right? Oh, yeah. And we realized that the only thing worse than having just one giant store in your community <laughs> is having zero stores at all. Yeah. But um, so I give them a lot of credit. I think they do well, a lot of good stuff. Well, because they employ a lot of people, right? Like they employ a lot of people. They're big in the communities. Where there's not yeah, a lot I think of that they, but I think in terms of the DEI stuff that they do that I see coming out of them, like, mm-hmm. so I like the reporting that they do. I find it very transparent mm-hmm. as far as large company reporting goes. So I hold them up as a positive example in some of the talks that I do. And, uh, you know, I would love if for this particular initiative, if they said we're doing this because we have seen an increase in sales, right? So they, I think that they've gotten some pretty good feedback, but there must be in addition to getting good feedback from customers, there's either efficiency uh, gain there or, you know, they're seeing better traffic in, in certain stores. So sure, I'd sure. love to hear more and, and, about it, but well, and really they like said they, Yeah, really like it. They said that they're doing this, of course, for their clients, like their, their customers, but they said they're also doing this for their employees. 
So, you know, so like even just employee satisfaction of maybe there are folks living with disabilities or who have sensory sensitivity. um, And maybe those are the hours that they work every morning. So that's um, amazing. Yeah. So really, really, you know, good stories here. Um, People seem to really be enjoying and and grateful for those changes. Awesome. Awesome. Good job, Walmart. Good job. Let's talk about let's talk bonds. You want to talk bonds? Sure. Let's talk bonds. So, so now you may not know this about me, but uh, early in my career, there was a path that I was on that would have landed me on like a bond trading floor, bond trading desk. Like on notice? Wall Street? I feel like I knew yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I could have been the wolf of Wall Street. I could have I been feel living like in Connecticut. Missed, yeah. You missed a beat there. I, I, I could have been on like a second or third wife by now, right? <laughs> like, And that was the path that. Yeah, the, the, that was, was destined for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I saw this report yesterday, so I had to talk about it. Uh, there was a Bloomberg report that 62% of blue trip bond transactions used in a ranger firm that was led by a woman or a person of color. And that's up from 24% a decade uh-huh. earlier. That's a that's, that's a pretty big, it's a big, big shift, increase. at least in the number. Yeah, yeah. Um, Companies uh, are pushing banks to align with diverse-led firms when they issue bonds. So firms like Verizon and Amazon are telling banks that if they want their business when they're issuing debt, that they need to have uh, a, a non-traditional uh, or non-dominant group-led uh, uh, bank or firm or financial firm in the bond deal as well. So mm-hmm. um, really, what would what, you take? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. would you think when I, when I said <laughs> stuff about bonds? I don't, don't know much about that. Yeah. Don't mu- know much about them. But what I will say is that um, Wall Street in many ways is, you know, a, 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 an institution where they already role model um, where I, I shouldn't say role model where where other <laughs> organizations. Say role model. Yeah. Yeah. Where organizations <laughs> look up to them. Right. They have a, they have influence. Um, they have power and could be a role model in demonstrating diversity and diverse partnerships. Um, and so I think like a shift, I think in the article it mentioned like big, it mentioned like big bond issuers in their banks say the shift is proof of their commitment to leveling mm-hmm. a long lopsided playing field in U.S. finance. And I, and I hope that's true and I hope it continues. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that that's what I'll say. Yeah. I mean, it, it- it's always hard. So I think I think you're dead on in terms of the influence that they have and, and why Wall Street, whether we like it or not, is very, very important. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it seems like a big shift. I always worry about the way that banks, I, I, I always have a skeptical eye toward banks, right? And so mm-hmm. hopefully these are legitimate partnerships. I don't know what percentage of fees are actually going to the women or as they call them, people of color led firms, right? So that's something that I'm skeptical about and would love to see more about, but it does seem like there's a tremendous opportunity, right? There could be real opportunity for new types of entrants into the bond market and people make a lot of money in the bond market, Nadia. Like I can't even tell oh, you. Oh yeah, so much. Just, it just, you know, people that uh, trade bonds are just dripping with money. So uh, there's there's a lot of opportunity there, I think for some of the non-traditional firms and, and more innovative firms as well. So mm. I thought it was a, I thought it was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, no, and thanks for sharing and, that. And I've been, and I'm still, I'm, I was, you know, still thinking about that second or third wife, you know. So yeah, we'll, we'll, well, well, it's funny when you first. <laughs> sometimes you say these jokes that I miss, and then I'll I'll catch them later and start dying laughing. But 
Um, when you first mentioned the word Bond, I thought James Bond. So I was like, Bond, of course, James Bond. <laughs> of course. I, All right. Awesome. Well, All right. Well, that's for that. for it for the Deets, Nadia. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Talia Canestra, partner and design leader at Port One Companies. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Our guest today is Talia Canistra. Talia is a partner and managing director of design at Port One Companies, a multidisciplinary architectural and interior design development and opportunistic investment firm based in Boston, Massachusetts. Talia graduated from Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston with her bachelor's and master's degrees in architecture and has worked in the architectural design industry for over 11 years. Coming from a male-dominated school into a male-dominated industry, Talia has quickly risen in her role despite those odds. She says her passion is in the creativity and problem-solving aspects of her work. She loves collaborating with her team and clients and actively works toward creating a meaningful presence in the industry for women leaders. Talia Canestra, thanks so much for joining us on Inclusive Collective. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Hi, Talia. Welcome. So good to meet you, and, and thank you for joining us this week. Um, I'm so excited to chat with you, particularly because I have, a, I have a few clients in the construction space, and I recently attended a gala um, hosted by the Architecture Foundation of Oregon. My sister-in-law is the executive director for them, um, and you know, we're part of like their mission is they believe that design should consider diverse perspectives um, and kind of reflect that like those views in building um, environments that provide access and equity for all. So I didn't know much about this um, industry and like been introduced to it this past year and just love it. I want to hear from you, your perspective. As Rob mentioned, you went to a male dominated school. You work in a male dominated industry. How do you think those experiences have informed the work that you do and how you do it? So going way back, I actually went to an all-girls school in from third grade to ninth grade and realized that um, there's greatness to that, but there's also, I think, a very necessary balance in who you're surrounding yourself with and who you're working with so that you can learn from different perspectives. And then going from that into a 70% male college actually was an interesting transition because I had to flip the way that I was thinking and interacting with people. And I feel like that's actually super valuable because coming from a women's perspective and a female perspective, 
you kind of cater yourself a little bit to the male industry or the male perspective. Um, and if you learn how to still hold that female perspective, but make it meaningful or make it effective in the male industry, you really are going to get somewhere. Um, and it's, it, it's a little, it's a little unnerving at first. Um, but I think that when you put that hat on or when you look at it from that lens, you can kind of navigate the industry a little bit. And then coming into construction, you can take that same thing. I think what's interesting about being in construction is that people wonder why you're there. Who, who is mm. this person? Um, is she touring? Is she part of the marketing group? Uh, is she someone's assistant? And that's kind of what you want to change the, the perspective of. And it's like, no, I'm the architect. I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm here to be a part of this team. Hmm. What what is the context? Uh, do you have a, give some context in terms of the industries? You said seventy percent in school was is it similar in construction in architecture? And what does it look like at the top of those of the of that industry? So in um, construction, I feel I think it's somewhere between you know ten to fifteen percent is women. Um, mm. In architecture, there's a little bit of a higher percentage because there is a design aspect to it. I think it does bring women and that um, mindset into it. And then, I, you know, women in C-suites, I feel like I read an article that was around 25%. Um, mm. So having those different buckets, right, you're, you're in an industry where there's very little women, then there's the design aspect where you can maybe surround yourself a little bit more, but it's still pretty low. And then leadership in that bracket is even less. So mm. you, when you do meet the people that um, are similar to you or have that female perspective, you hold them dearly and you kind of talk to each <laughs> oh, other I'm sure. uh, for advice. <laughs> I'm sure. And, and you touched on it a little bit, but just as a follow-up, can you expand on, you know, now that you're a little further into your career, are there, examples of how you being different <laughs> is an advantage or is advantageous now as you, as you, you know, as, as a, as a leader in the company. Mm. So within my company, we have, I have four partners. Um, all of them are male, male. And sometimes they, when we'd sit at the table and talk about things, there is sometimes a, a very logical way of talking about things. There's an emotional way of talking about things. And so I think that a perspective with me having a, the female perspective, it does help, especially with employees um, and talking about maybe some of our client, client interactions and things like that. And when we work with clients, I think that there's some intimidation factor for architecture as an industry because People don't know about it. People are thinking, you know, an architect just draws drawings that you need for a building permit, or maybe there's some kind of um, perception that we're thinking from a completely different place or we're trying to uh, do, make you do something that you don't want to do, which is absolutely not the case at all. Mm -hmm. So I think <laughs> that coming at it from maybe a softer side or I can talk to you and just make you feel comfortable and understand what we're doing, that definitely helps. Um, and then also I've created positions within my team that are 
women that are there are women that are helping me grow this company and helping me um, go through the design process with clients. So it's been really nice to have that as um as like a, a relationship builder. Yeah, that's great. I'm curious, like what what else is the industry? So not particularly like your company, but like what is the industry doing to address some of the gaps that they're seeing in the workforce within like the industry, meaning like, of course, you like you mentioned, there's um, a lack of like women. I would I would venture to guess that like the majority of the people are able bodied. Um, I would venture to guess that there's a lot of folks that are immigrants or folks that where English is not their second um, is is their second language. So I'm just curious, like, do you, that you're what are some of the things that the industry is doing right now to address some of like the gaps of making folks feel more included in the industry and where there's equity built in? So there are women groups um, within this Boston Society of Architects or the AIA. Um, there is a lot of different groups or events that do focus on women in the industry and learning from each other and really bringing to light that there are more of us than you'd think, but there are still not many of us, right? Um, so especially, you know, within certain geographic locations, you, I'm sure it varies across the country. So I think that having those events and making sure that the different groups are uh, allowing for that space is really nice. And then there's also panels that would love to have at least one woman speaking on it or mm -hmm. at least one woman's perspective from their position in their company or in their projects. And then also my company actually right now is going through the application process of becoming a women-owned business and actually having that as a WMBE certification. And there are projects or, yeah, there's different opportunities that are specifically reserved for companies that are minority-owned, women-owned, um, anything like that. So it's, it's nice to be able to have that option as well. Is that a painful process, that, that certification? How's that been? A little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> it takes it. They ask for a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a long review process. But I, I do have to say it's been um, pretty streamlined other than just really needing to have everything together and co compiling all the information. So um, yeah, it does take yeah. a, a while. You, you mentioned earlier uh, the you know, that you take it very seriously creating within your team and, and making sure that there's diversity or, you know, gender diversity within the team as well. I just wonder, you know, so tell me more about that, but then also as you were gaining traction in your career, like what was the role that others had in, in, in helping you uh, get to where you are today? And if there's any, any examples of, of people that, that elevated you as well. For sure. Yeah. My, I had an internship when I was in college um, for a small firm. It was literally the owner of the company and myself. That was the whole company. And he he really still to this day is a mentor of mine. And he brought me in and taught me everything he knew. He brought me to meetings. He exposed me to different project types and learning different aspects of what architects do. So having him have confidence in me and really not holding back anything because I was female or because I was um, a little different. Um, that was 
really the first step in making me think, okay, I can do this. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. He's telling, he's giving me positive reinforcement. He's, he's supporting me in my growth. I, I will always be thankful for him for that. And then there's been, you know, aspects of that job too, where it really came to light just how infrequent female on construction sites are. I remember Mm. vividly, um, I went to a construction site with him. We were walking around and I was young at the time. I had just graduated or I was still in college, right? So 21 or 22 years old. And it's, you know, you get looks. You, it's, who is this person? Why are you here? And, and he talked to me after the fact. He's like, unfortunately, you may need to grow a thick skin around this. You're going to have to make yourself and your presence known. And I remember thinking to myself, that's going to be an interesting hurdle because if I were male, would that maybe not be the case? Right. Mm-hmm. Would I not have to explain my presence to people? Um, so thinking about it from there and then just maybe cultivating the relationships over time with mm-hmm. people who respect that and just want to know that I'm the right person and I am, you know, there to be part of the team and not just because I'm a woman or whatever. It should just not even be a thought, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I feel like many of our listeners who might be interested in that space of of design or architecture or construction, you know, could very well be hopeful for for that. I'm curious if you've observed if the client's expectations have changed over the course of of the years. What are you hearing from the clients that you work with um, just in terms of like their needs or their expectations of like who they should be working with and partnering with? I have to say I have been pretty lucky with my clients and with my relationships. A lot of where I've come from has been referral-based and uh, repeat client work. So the the fact that someone's advocating for me and my company from the get-go is a huge help. Um, And then also proving that we're a good partner in their projects and getting that repeat work has been phenomenal. You know, I think their expectations changing, it has really just evolved with where the growth of the projects are and the growth of who they are with with who we are. I know that's a little vague, but if we started with them on a two-family renovation, right, and they had a great experience, but now they want to do four units or now they want to do eight units, their expectation is, I need your help. It's not you know, something where you need to do this for me. Um, So in that sense, I I do feel pretty lucky with that. And they fully respect. I feel like once we prove ourselves, they fully respect what's going on. That's great. Yeah, Tally, I I was, uh, I think, I think Nadia is getting into construction. So I think maybe next time you'll have us on (laughs) site. Yeah, I think she's really. Want my helmet? Started, yeah, maybe you sit us some. Maybe we can post some of the uh, the projects that you do as well. They're super. You know, there's there's some really cool stuff on on the website there at uh, Port One. Just as we as we wrap up today, uh, just so a couple things. One, a bonus resource. One, uh, you know, can you tell us to get into architecture if you're young, like, such as my son who's 11? What are the things you need to be good at? And then two, what other resources do you have? Uh, just along the lines of of uh, you know 
women breaking into industries where they are, uh, you know, very underrepresented uh, and, and DEI resources? Sure. So to get into architecture, you have to be completely in love with it because it is grueling. I will not lie to you that school is very intense, a lot of long hours, lots of sitting in front of something, being so frustrated, but you still really want to solve that problem. It's that puzzle, right? That's just very mm -hmm. satisfying to put the last piece into. And you need to be good at taking a step back and rethinking everything you thought was the right decision. Um, so, you know, you start one path and it's just not working. It's not working at all. Or maybe you think it's great, but your client doesn't. Or maybe the community doesn't really love what the proposal was. So you need to be able to really start fresh and kind of regroup and create another solution that's equally as great. But it's just completely different than from where you started. Um, so having that kind of looseness of thinking is important. Mm. There's a misconception you need to be good at math. You do not need to be good at math. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I really thought you did. We're oh going to cut this. We're going to cut that piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's incredible, actually. Okay. Yeah, I really yeah. did think I mean, you needed to be good at math. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. I mean, math was my favorite subject. That's how I got into the field was because sure. I loved math, but I also love art. Um, so architecture yes. is the marrying of those things. But yeah, you don't need it. You just have to calculate slope every once in a while. And, you, you know, uh, that's about uh, it. Rob. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. Moving slope. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. And then um, something that I would just say that is a piece of advice that I would love to offer for women getting into any industry that they may not think is for women or is, you know, overly saturated with men is there's two things that I've learned that really have helped me. One is don't take anything personally. This is not about you. There, it's, it's about whoever is giving you the feedback or it's about the work. And you just take that, learn from it and grow from it. And the other one is to just blast through fear because fear is the number one thing that's going to hinder you. It's not an industry. It's, it's not other people. It, it's not the work. It's because hmm. you are seeing yourself as not being able to do it or you're scared of it. And that's, you know, if you take one step, it's less scary. You just, mm -hmm. just do it. Just blast through that fear. And it's really helped me get to where I'm at now. That's great. Well, Talia, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have you, and we wish you uh, the best of luck. And come back and see us again. Thank you so much. I would love to. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, stay with us, folks. We'll be right back for our Con Reflections and Raves and Rants. Welcome back, folks. We just finished chatting with Talia Canistra. Such a great conversation. I, Rob. I really appreciated her highlighting kind of the, the gender differences within the architecture, design, construction world. Um, you know, when especially, especially when she mentioned, like, you get a thick skin, right? She said, like, this, I put it in quotes in my notes because I was thinking, like, wow, we over time, we've, we've had to, like, have women or kind of other minoritized groups conform, right, to, like, what mm -hmm, the dominant mm -hmm. group is. And so... I love that she emphasized like she, you know, she's really trying to kind of push that forward where like, it's not about 
necessarily conforming. It's really about people seeing her and not ha- her not having to explain her presence um, is what she kind of said. Uh, what were your thoughts? What were your takeaways? Yeah, I like that as well. And hopefully through leadership from folks like Talia that that as the industry becomes more diverse, that folks that are minoritized or uh, underrepresented, non-dominant in that industry don't have to have such a thick skin and it becomes much more commonplace. And uh, I would say also I agree, it was a fantastic interview until it fell apart at the very end when I asked her uh, what uh, <laughs> people need to do to become architects. Yeah. And the answer, Nadia, that I was looking for was they need to do their homework and be good at math. And <laughs> I, and she she really missed fire on that. So other than that, she was great. And I do hope that she'll come back and, and hang out with us again. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope so too. Well, Rob, should we get to uh, the Raisin Rants for today? I'll go yeah, ahead and let's, let's. Oh, I'm ranting. Oh, no, you were ranting. I'm ranting. Yeah, you go ahead yeah, first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So unlike me to rant. All right. So I was looking, you know, I'm big in the social media, Nadia, right? And mm-hmm. I was looking at all the inclusive collective social media stuff, and I was like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if Twitter or whatever it is called uh, was, was okay, right? Um, this week, uh, you may have seen that our old friend, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's Elon Musk. I don't know what it is. He he appeared to support uh, anti-Semitic posts promoting a conspiracy theory that Jewish people are bringing non-white immigrants to the U.S. to replace white people. Oh my! God. IBM said that it was pulling its ads after uh, its ads were shown side by side with anti-Semitic and anti-Islamic posts. So I just don't know what it's in, in it for any company to be on this platform at this point. And uh, it's, so it's just kind of unfortunate, um, you know, that hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully at some point ownership of that platform turns over and it's something that, that we can embrace again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> embrace again. I don't know about that, but yeah, I fear, I really yeah, yeah. do fear yeah. Rob this next year with like elections coming or like presidential elections coming up and, of course, the war. There's just I, I fear the amount of uh, phobia that will uh, or hate crimes that will in, ensue, continue to ensue on this platform. So, um, absolutely. All right, let's let's end on a happier note here. So, the singer Pink, who we love and adore, announced her collaboration with bookseller Books and Books to distribute two thousand banned books during her four concert dates set in florida i love this i i mean this is something that we know your buddy ronnie d is gonna hate (laughs) (laughs) um but really really exciting that pink um really values books and reading and particularly the band books she partnered with amanda um gorman the the beautiful poet and um, is planning to distribute these at her concert um, over the, f- the course of the four days that she'll be in Florida. Very cool. Very cool. I want to see Pink in concert. Have I you seen know. Pink in concert? I've never seen Pink in concert. I'd love to. Maybe I saw it like a, a radio station concert, but I don't know. I need to, yeah. Maybe some, need to get someday Pink can headline the Inclusive Collective Music <laughs> Festival. <laughs> That's through, right. That I'm, that I'm planning. I'd be nice to you. Sold out event. Uh, yeah. Well, Nadia, have a, it is a uh, uh, very commonly known as Thanksgiving coming up, but uh, you know, wish our audience a happy and a meaningful Native American Heritage Day coming up uh, in, in, that, in that space as well. Same to you. Yeah. 
All right, folks. Well, that's it for Co- Inclusive Collective this week. Just a reminder that if you're looking for DEI and workplace culture strategy, consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach me at Nadia at NASConsultants.com and Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media and edited by Ari Buffet. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and sometimes TikTok. <laughs> Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn. Um, you can subscribe to our Inclusive Collective newsletter. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate and subscribe um, wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks again to our guest, Talia Kinister. We'll be back next week. Thanks, folks. Also, I'm going to end with, uh, in the words of Pink, so raise your glass. <laughs> Did I hit that tone? <laughs> Yeah, nailed it. Thanks, Nadia. Be well. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.